Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, uh, New Life on the Streets went out to the assisted living outreach yesterday. There was 13 of you working at the outreach, and um, it's really a big number, the most that they've had in several years. And it's the first time they went to an assisted living house, and they mixed bingo with singing hymns. And there was 10 people that prayed a group prayer to receive Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There was at least four that prayed it for the first time. And uh, one of the four people praying for the first time was a Jewish lady. Hallelujah. So, you know, she's not a converted Jew. She's a completed Jew. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. And what brought all the people out? Bingo. Whoever knew bingo would bring them out. But, you know, even though bingo brings them out, Jesus brought them in. Praise the Lord. God is faithful. Amen. He is a good God. And we celebrate in this. You know, we celebrate that 10 people came into the kingdom. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, if the angels of God rejoice over one, you can imagine the celebration going on over 10. Hallelujah. So let's celebrate. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Ten people, ten people just like us before we knew Jesus. Now they've come into the kingdom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. You'll get me like you're expecting something. <laughs> oh, married couples was a great, great time last night. We had, uh, I think it was a 30 people came. We, we did it at the Olive Garden. And it was a great time of fellowship. I believe some new relationships, you know, sometimes you come to church and you see people and you say hello and all that, but then you get to sit at a meal and sit across from them and have to talk to them. So I believe there were some new relationships that was created. I believe they were all ones you liked. <laughs> and, uh, but it was a good time and uh, it was probably like, uh, we were there for probably like at least three hours, 6.30 to 9.30, something like that. So, you know, you know, Christians, they get eaten and talking, you can't stop them. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So it was a really, really, really good, good turnout, good time. Did you enjoy it? Yes. Amen. We'll have to do it again. Amen. Amen. Are you ready for the word of God today? Yeah. Open up the first Corinthians chapter 12. Praise the Lord. I've already prayed for the Lord's anointing. I prayed for him to bring impartation and revelation into your heart. To bring understanding and enlightenment to you. And through that will become the empowerment to be able to walk in what he wants to declare to us and show us over the next several weeks. Because he's going to start talking to us <clears throat> about spiritual matters. 
You know, spiritual things are what's important. Natural things we live in and we work in and we have to use them. But, you know, natural things don't have to be natural. They can be supernatural. It all depends on the source of using it. Isn't that right? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's start in verse 1. Good place to start. And he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now, before we actually get into this, I want to tell you that all three chapters of chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, you know, we look at chapter 12 and we say that's the, that's the chapter on the gifts. We look at 13 and say it's a chapter on love. <clears throat> and then we look at 14 and we say it's a chapter about prayer language and all that. But actually 12, 13, and 14 is one continuous thought. It's like Paul never took a breath between one chapter to the next, okay? And I want to give you some background on some things today, because he starts off by saying here in verse 1, now concerning. So with those words, Paul is now turning to a new area of discussion from what he was talking about previously. And when he says now concerning, it appears six times in 1 Corinthians, And every time he uses this phrase, now concerning, he is addressing a concern that was raised by the Corinthians themselves, that they had asked him questions, they sent him letters and asked him questions, okay? So a little bit of a background, if you go over to 1 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Now, he says here, I wrote to you in my letter. What letter? We don't have a copy of that letter. But he's here in 1 Corinthians saying, I wrote to you in my letter. So there was a previous letter. All right? So there's no record of that letter that he wrote to them. So that letter that he wrote to them was actually the first letter that was written to the Corinthian church. So our book that we call 1 Corinthians is actually a response to a letter that the church had sent to him asking him questions about certain issues. Okay, and go to chapter 7, verse 1. And it says, now concerning, again, now concerning the things about which you wrote. Okay, So they wrote him letters, they had asked him questions, and now he's responding to these things. And this letter that we call 1 Corinthians was a response to the news that was brought to Paul from members of Chloe's house. And there was strife and there was division going on in the Corinthian church, okay? So the book of 1 Corinthians is actually Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, Now, that doesn't matter as far as the truth of the letter or of anything like that, but it's just a little background to let you know about where things are at. So, as much, he wrote a letter to the Corinthians, which was the first Corinthians that we don't have a copy of. Then what we call first Corinthians is actually second Corinthians, but then he wrote a third letter to the church of Corinth, which is actually second Corinthians chapter 10 through 13. And that's where he starts on the spiritual warfare. And he starts on the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but powerful for the destruction of strongholds, pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's where his third letter actually started. So from 
2 Corinthians 10 to the end is actually the third letter. And Paul meets Titus in Macedonia when, when Titus was returning from Corinth, having delivered the letter to them. And then the fourth and the last letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth is what we call 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 9. So he actually wrote four letters, okay? Now, like we said, <clears throat> that doesn't change anything about the truth of the letters, but what we do understand is you cannot go by what people say is chapter and verse. Chapters and verses were not written in the letters. Man put in chapters and verses and all this because they think they're going to help you to understand some stuff. And sometimes they don't help you. So just like back in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be unaware he wanted them to be knowledgeable and have understanding, okay, in the matters that he was going to talk about here. So he had talked to them already in the first letter, and there were issues that needed to be handled. So now he's responding again to questions that they had, and this was a big question that they had about spiritual matters. Big question. And when he says concerning spiritual gifts, the word gifts is not in the original. Man put that in. And that's why if you have a good study Bible, it's italicized in that, word, in that verse because it's not original. And it should not be in there. You know, people think they're going to help you. They don't always help you. It says now concerning spirituals, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. And the word spirituals actually means spiritual things. All right, things that pertain to and are of the Holy Spirit. Well, isn't that the gifts? Well, if that's all that there is, I mean, come on. There's more to the Holy Spirit than just the gifts. See, man gets all hung up on all of this stuff because he doesn't understand tongues. He don't understand gifts. He don't understand how this works. He doesn't understand the difference between faith and gifts. So everything gets thrown into one corner and they don't know how it works so therefore they think when they hear holy spirit they think tongues and gifts and we don't have anything to do with that because they don't understand it and rather than try to learn about it they'll just poo poo it away and unfortunately many seminaries don't teach it you know this one pastor stood up one time and he said i went to seminary and they had books and books and books about god the father and they had books and books and books about God, the son, Jesus. And they had a chapter and a half about the Holy Spirit because nobody knows anything about him. Why don't you read your Bible instead of those seminary books? Here he is, God on the earth, the Holy Spirit, and we don't know nothing about him. Why? Because we're unaware. Ignorant is what the King James says. And Paul don't want, the Holy Spirit don't want you ignorant about him. He wants you knowledgeable and understanding about spirituals, all right, things that pertain to the Holy Spirit. So the word spirituals, pneumatikikos is the Greek word. And from the fourth or fifth centuries BC, it was used in classical Greek and mostly was used in the sense of pertaining to the wind or the breath. Because what do we know about spirit? God breathed into man the breath which is also spirit. So Paul, as well as his opponents, because you know there was a lot of, of opponents to the Gospels, they contended that some people were more spiritual than others. 
Now, the opponents to Paul, which was Gnosticism, a big heresy of the day, they believed that such spirituality was evidenced in the speech and knowledge of a person. Just by the way a person talked or what they knew. And this is why James says, don't be just a hearer of the word and trying to be an auditor. Just trying to speak right. That's not what it's about. That was Gnosticism. Paul showed that true spirituality, first and foremost, is demonstrated in loving care for one's fellow human being, which is the basis of all spiritual operations. If we do not operate in the things of the Spirit in love, we're actually a false teacher. And that's why chapter 14, verse 1, starts off by saying, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spirituals. Desire the spiritual, but pursue love. Because the spirituals never will operate correctly without love being your pursuit. Amen. Are you with me? So he says, now concerning spirituals, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. The Phillips translation says, now I want to give you some further information in some spiritual matters. The message, let's look at the message translation. He says, now I want to talk to you. Now what I want to talk about now is the various ways God's spirit gets worked into our lives. This is complex and often misunderstood, but I want you to be informed and knowledgeable. The mirror translation says spiritual manifestations are supernatural, yet often very natural. We heard some spiritual operations today. Did anybody stand there like this? And then all of a sudden there came booming, you know, voices out of their ears. No. How did you hear the things of God today? By a natural voice. See, the things of God, although they are natural, they're supernatural. Amen. So he said spiritual manifestations are supernatural, yet very often natural. See, and this is why there, there can be great counterfeits to the things of God. Because we can make it look like something in the natural. I can just stand up and go, thus says the Lord, and say what I want to say. But because I said, thus says the Lord, many Christians will fall down on their face and go, oh, that was God. But they don't know how to judge whether it is or not. Oh, but they were such a nice person. They, they must be saved. That's how you judge? What are you judging like a heathen? Don't shout me down. Spiritual manifestations are supernatural, yet often very natural. Just because it is spiritual, spirit dimension does not mean that you cannot understand what God's spirit is saying to you. It operates in the spirit realm, but we can understand. Why? Because you're made in the image and likeness of God. And one of those definitions of the word image of God means you have the communicable attributes of God. This is why God could speak to you. You can speak to God. Unlike the screwballs on The View. They said, if you speak to God, that's normal. But if God speaks to you, is that the definition of insanity? No, what you just said is the definition of stupidity. Amen. The Passion Translation. 
It says, my fellow believers, I don't want you to be confused about spiritual realities. See, there are spiritual realities that we must understand because we are a spirit being. We're a supernatural church. Jesus Christ is a supernatural head of a supernatural entity called the church. Amen. So go back over to where we're at. We're in 12.1. Okay, you can go back to New American Standard. But chapter 12, okay, and we always call it the chapter on the gifts. Well, guess what? It's also the chapter on ministries. It's also a chapter on the effectings and workings of God. It's also a chapter about the workings of the body of Christ in unity. It's also a chapter that shows the unity of the Godhead working together. And God, who is love, works everything together, so it has to operate in love. If you don't operate in love, it ain't working. It has a show, but it's not true. Are you with me? Verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. How many former pagans do we have in here? Okay, how many don't even know if you was a pagan? Because I didn't see every hand go up. And according to the Bible, it says, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So let me try that again. How many former pagans do we have in here? Thank you for your cooperation. How many of you won't raise your hand no matter what I ask you? Now, we might not think we were pagans because we didn't go to pagan temples. We didn't worship pagan statues that did not speak to us. Although I'm going to suppose that many of you came out of religion, and I would say that many pagan unspeaking statues is what you worshipped. And all these pagan gods that we worshipped and the statues that didn't speak to us. And there was always a looking for a promise to a better life, health, and prosperity. Isn't that right? But we all had turned to a life that did not speak. And we looked for great promises in that life. That pagan life, we were still looking for great promises. Right? Now, whether it was money could have been the idol that you were looking to, trying to get it to talk to you. You know, money could have been the very, you know, uh, 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 focus of your life. But it don't talk. It don't do nothing. Maybe uh, fornication was a big thing in your life. You know, looking for satisfaction there. You know, thinking that that is going to be the answer to what you need. Maybe you had a real party spirit. Gee, you know, I didn't need a special holiday to party. Every day was a party day. And you just partied all the time. How about intoxication and drugs? You know, alcohol, drugs, I mean, all the same. That was where you were looking for your, your answers. You know, and I'll tell you right now that drugs is a great counterfeit to the peace of God great counterfeit it's one of the greatest counterfeits there is maybe you operated in a controlling spirit and thought by controlling everything that you'd be in control of your life and didn't realize you were actually totally out of control covetousness envy jealousy 
All of these things are idols that we worshipped. And I'm sure there's a few that I didn't mention that you could probably go, yeah, yeah, well, you know, thanks for not mentioning mine. <laughs> but all those things led us. We were led. We were led. Isn't that right? Money led us. Made our decisions based on money. You know, it's like somebody said one time, if you make your decisions based on money, 90% of the time you'll be wrong. But if you make your decisions based on the anointing, 90% of the time you'll be right. Amen. But we look for those things to lead us. You know, I remember being led to a party in the middle of a hurricane. There was a party going on, but a hurricane came through. But I wasn't going to let it stop me. Because I was a partier. And I was not going to stop just because there was a hurricane. And it got so bad in the house where we were partying, we went out and sat in the car because the car has rubber tires. So this way, you know, you're grounded. <laughs> help me, somebody, help me. And we thought, you know, we thought we had it all together. But we were individually, every single one of us was individually influenced and led astray by some sort of idol or idols. And our whole life, for many, just totally contained different idols. And we're always led by them. And that's what Paul's talking about. So you may not have been a pagan in a pagan temple, but you were certainly in a pagan life. Amen? Amen. So these previous pagan, heathen patterns and attitudes of life are not to be brought into the life of the church. And when I say they're not to be brought in, of course they come in because that's what we've come out of. You know, when I came out of the things I came out of, I came into the church with it. But I came into the church and heard the word of God and realized I needed to deal with some stuff and get it off of me. I needed to get out of some things. I needed to make some changes in my life. And just because you've been saved for 40 or 50 or 60 years doesn't mean there's no more changes. Because you may have lived the first 40 years and never made a change. Are you with me? I mean, I know a lot of people that are saved and thinking the only thing there is to salvation is Jesus is Lord of your life and, and you've received Jesus, so therefore everything else is fine. And it's not. Your eternity is fine. Are you with me? So bringing pagan understandings and activities into the church, our life would cause damage to the Christian's faith and practice. Amen. Amen. You cannot live in the kingdom of God with the understandings that came out of a pagan life. The whole thing that we understood as a pagan has to change. The whole thing we understood of living as a heathen has to change. There was nothing right about it. You say, well, you know, I, I was a, uh, a, a nice person. I was always good to people, unless they were not good to you. You know it. 
and I know it. Don't even try to say, oh, no, no, I was always good to people. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You were good to people until they weren't good to you. And when they snubbed you, man, you, you let them know. You let them know. And some lived by the fact that, oh, yeah, I'm just good to everybody. I just, you know, I'm a nice person. But the minute they did something wrong for you, vengeance became the focus of your life. You're going to get them back for that. Don't shout me down. So we were all so-called nice until. And the more untils that came around, the more unnice we were. So don't even try to blow it off to, oh, no, I was a nice person. There is none that was nice. Jesus said it this way, if you, being evil, know how to do good for your children. Amen. Remembering the former days is not flattering. Remembering the former days is shameful, is not glorious. Oh, those were the days. Thank God they're done. Thank God you lived through them. Thank God you're alive to remember them. But those were not the good old days. Amen. You know that when you were pagans, so he's telling them, you know, you know, you know. When you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Verse 3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The word accursed in the Greek, it means to say a detestable person. No one could say by the Spirit of God that Jesus is a detestable person. Now, the Corinthians that he's talking to, you know, Corinth was a big, big center for heathenism, paganism, idol worship. And the, uh, the goddess, uh, I think it was Athena. Athena? Is that the name? Anyway, she was the goddess of fertility. So... If you wanted your crops to produce, you would bring crops before the idol of Athena. I think, that, I think that was her name. And, of course, if you wanted children, you would go before the idol and have sex right there before the idol in the temple. Because she was the goddess of fertility. Okay? So... There was all kinds of intoxication, drug operations, all kinds of things that went on in the temple. And this is why Paul wrote to them and said, do not eat meat sacrificed to idols. Because in order to get to the meat, which was the best meat, you had to go to the altar to get the meat. And to do so, you had to walk by all of the rooms of the temple prostitutes to get to that meat, which would open you up now to temptation to go back to that old way of living. There wasn't anything wrong with the meat. You're not cursed if you eat that meat. 
It was the temptation of going into that temple to get the meat. And that's why it says, I wrote to you not to associate with immoral people. Because it's a temptation to go back to that way of living. To start thinking that way. To start talking that way. Are you with me? They had old experiences of the spells and heathenism. And it didn't prepare the Corinthians to understand the workings of God's spirit and the signs of his presence. So on this subject, they had asked, and now Paul is giving them instruction by saying, I make known to you. So they're asking him questions. They knew how men could be carried away by supernatural influences into great frenzies. And they wanted a criterion for distinguishing those that were truly divine. Because people could come by and go, thus says the Lord. Well, they didn't know if it was or not. Just like a lot of Christians don't know. So they wanted a criteria. And he said, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is detestable. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So when you say Jesus is accursed or Jesus is detestable, it means that he is vowed to God for destruction, that God will destroy him. Or you would say Jesus is Lord. And these are the battle cries of the spirit of error and the spirit of truth. And both the spirit of error and the spirit of truth was contending at Corinth. Now, this is declared by Saul, who took the coats of the people that stoned Stephen to death. So Paul knows exactly what he's talking about. He's come out of that lifestyle. Are you with me? So there are spirits of error, and there are spirits of truth. And their battle cry is either Jesus is Lord or Jesus is detestable and vowed to God for destruction. Those possessors of the Holy Spirit have their confession inspired by him, which declares Jesus is Lord. And Jesus has said that the Holy Spirit will glorify him. Didn't he say that? That the Holy Spirit will glorify him. To speak in the element and sphere of and under the influence of the Holy Spirit is to bring glory to Jesus. And you bring glory to Jesus in living a glorious life under the influence and being possessed of the Holy Spirit. The Corinthians knew all about demonic possession. Because that was what they did in the temples. They get themselves all worked up into a frenzy to open themselves up to demonic possession to come and work, move through them. You know, just because we come into the church, it doesn't mean that things are all together. You know, when Ukraine first opened up and the, and, and the, uh, uh, the Cold War came to an end and Ukraine had first opened up years ago, not under the current administration, but years ago. When Ukraine first opened up and the churches was growing 
in Ukraine. Well, they came into the church, the leaders came into the church with the only understanding that they knew of leadership, and that was communism. So the only thing they knew about leading the church was control, 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 just like communism controlled them. So then other more mature leaders within the body of Christ, Dr. Bill having been one of them, had to go over there and teach them how to lead, not under the leadership of communism, but now under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So in the same way, you had the, the church of Corinth, just like all of us, came out of a heathen world and came into the church with heathen thinking, heathen ideas, and heathen ways. And then we start to hear the word of God within our heathen understanding. And think, I, I understand that. But you only understand it in that heathen way of thinking until you get your mind renewed. So just because you understand it doesn't mean it's right. Because it all depends on if you're understanding it by the Spirit of God or understanding it in your old heathen way of thinking. Just for instance, the word love. You take the word love. That is such a misunderstood word in the church. And we always use the word agape, agape love. But actually, most of the time when the word love is used in the Bible, it's the word agapeo. It's not agape. It's agapeo. No, it's not human love. It's a setting of the will to love. That's what love is. You set your will to love. It's not about, oh, they did good. They were so nice to me. Oh, they're just such a good person. Oh, I just like them. And we just have a, a camaraderie, personality. Flesh, nonsense. It's setting the will to love. And what you find out is that when you choose to set your will to love, the one on whom you set your will becomes lovable. Which then becomes agape. Do you understand? Just like when you got married, you set your will to love that person. And then through the years, you find out they become more and more lovable. Yes. That is the idea anyway. <laughs> and that's where love all starts in the church, in the, in the kingdom. It starts by setting your will. Set your will to love another person. Amen. So therefore, it has nothing to do with how they treat you, has nothing to do with how they talk to you, has nothing to do with whether there's a reciprocation of something or not. does not matter because the choice was I choose to love. And when I choose to love, it becomes my greatest protection because you can't do anything against that. But if my love is based on how you act, oh, we're all in trouble. That's why I'm up here today, because you might throw tomato cans at me. I can hide. <laughs> you know, we used to go out on the street some years ago. It was back in the 80s. And one time we were over in Gilcrest Park, and there was a woman there, and she was on vacation. And she was out on a lounge chair in Gilcrest Park. And I should have known better, but it looked like she was drinking a, a bottle of whiskey. And I went over to her and started talking to her about Jesus. And she was like, I believe that. 
I mean, belligerent. I believe that. Well, do you know that Jesus died for your sins? I believe that. I said, well, you know, have you ever accepted Jesus as Lord of your life? I believe that. And that's all she would say. I believe that. I believe that. But she would never say, I believe Jesus. Now, somebody that has Jesus as Lord of their life, they would have no problem saying, even if they are intoxicated, they would have no problem saying Jesus is Lord. Just like in Acts 16. You remember when Paul was in um, uh, uh, um, Ephesus and there was a slave girl following after him and his team and saying, they have the way of salvation. Listen to what they're saying to you. And it says after she did that for a number of days and Paul was highly annoyed and he turned and cast the spirit out of her. Well, why? Was she saying they had the way of salvation? Well, yeah, but she never said follow them as preachers of Jesus. See, salvation comes in many, many different ways to many different people. And she never declared Jesus but she did when she got the devil cast out of her. Are you with me? Amen. So this was a criterion that Paul was talking about. Nobody, nobody could say Jesus is cursed by the Holy Spirit. And nobody by the Holy Spirit will say anything except Jesus is Lord. Amen. 1 Corinthians 2.27, I'm sorry, 1 John 2.27. You know, and you ought to use that as a criterion when you talk to people. Stop judging whether they're saved or not because they believe in sowing and reaping. Who doesn't believe in sowing and reaping? Everybody believes in sowing and reaping. Now they call it what goes around comes around. They call it karma. They call it all kinds of nonsense. Oh, I got to get my karma built up here. I got to do good to people, get my karma built up. All you have to do is ask him, is Jesus Lord of your life? That's all you have to ask him. Is Jesus Lord of your life? I believe in Jesus. I didn't ask you if you believed in him. Right. You believe him as a, as a historian figure? You believe in him as a prophet? You believe in him as a good man? Or do you believe him as God in the flesh? Yeah, that's the whole difference. I know a lot of people that believe God, Jesus was a good man. They just don't believe he was God. And I'm thinking, well, how good can he be? But that's how we judge goodness. So Jesus has lied about himself, but he was good to people, so he was a good person. Don't think so. Did you find 1 John 2, 27? As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true, and it's not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. So having been born of and filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not about declaring, oh, I have the Holy Spirit. It's not about that. It's about learning to grow, learning about the Holy Spirit, growing in the Holy Spirit, and yielding ourselves to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit in our life on a day-to-day -day basis. That's what it's about, you know. You remember when you got married, guys? Did you walk around and go, ooh, I got a wife. Ooh, I got a wife. Ooh, I got a wife. <laughs> Until your wife says, sit down, sucker. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't about that, was it? 
What's it about? It's about growing every day. Now you got to learn about your wife. Now you have to grow in a life together with your wife. Now you have to learn to put your wife first. Okay, I know I'm going to be stepping on some toes here. I did, I, I did a teaching one time and, and touched on marriage in a service. And after the service, somebody came to me and go, you're not helping us. A guy came to me, said, you're not doing us any favors. You're not helping us here. <laughs> you know, the Bible clearly tells us in the book of Ephesians that as far as the man goes, he is to give up himself. Give up his self-centeredness, his selfishness, and his own self-ways of doing things and start considering his wife as more important than him. Say, I knew I'd get an amen. I didn't hear any deep amen. Amen, brother. I didn't hear any of those. This is what you get. <clears throat> <laughs> So in the same way we've had to learn to grow with each other, we should learn to grow in the Holy Spirit. Yielding ourselves, living for him. Amen. He is not a trophy that we are to carry around. A lot of people treat their wives like that. This is my trophy. Look who, look who I've got, you know. But the Holy Spirit, he's not a trophy. He's one we're supposed to learn to follow. Learn to let him lead us on a daily basis. Isn't that right? As he abides in us, as it says there, we are in the same way to abide in him also. So as he continues in us, we should continue in him. And this, if you'll take that verse and just meditate on it, it'll help you to become more God-inside-minded. That knowing God's in me and therefore not only do I talk with God or talk at God but I can hear from God becoming God inside minded regularly daily consistently always God inside minded God in me God in me the Holy Spirit lives in me he's my leader he's my guide he's my helper comforter counselor intercessor advocate he is all that I need Hallelujah. Amen. Are you with me? All right, go back over to 1 Corinthians 12. Verses 2 and 3 again. It says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So verse 3 starts off by saying, therefore. So therefore is connecting verse 2 with verse 3. Okay? So the promise of all pagan lifestyles was about ecstasy. That was the promise. No matter what went on in the temples, it was all about ecstasy. The thrill of emotional experiences and frenzy. And ecstasy... Paul wants to contrast ecstasy with enthusiasm. Amen. 
That's Paul's point in writing to the Corinthian church, the enthusiasm about a life in the spirit and walking in spiritual matters. So ecstasy and enthusiasm is not about linguistic nuance. The matter actually pertains to a genuine difference between two distinct forms of religious practice. Ecstasy is the effort to stand outside of oneself. Anybody in here ever do drugs? Okay, thank you for your honesty. You know, and the whole idea of doing drugs is to be outside of yourself. You've heard Dennis talk about how we would take trips to the uh, uh, universe and never leave his living room. You know, and that was true. I would sit in my room. I'd have all kinds of posters all over the room. And I'd turn on some music and watch concerts from the posters without going to the concert, without leaving my room. And it was always about being outside of yourself. But that was ecstasy. And the word ecstasis actually means displacement. So you've displaced yourself. It means to grab onto a vital power that provides one with an extraordinary experience. And understand that many Christians don't even recognize God unless that's happening. Because they're driven more by ecstasy than they are by enthusiasm. They're driven more by the spectacular than they are by the supernatural. Enthusiasm is the result of one's being indwelt by the power of God so that one's quality of experience is transformed. In other words, your life gets transformed. So we can either seek ecstasy or we can, ex we can seek enthusiasm. And it might be, and Paul might realize that it might be difficult to actually distinguish the frenzy of ecstasy with the empowering of enthusiasm. See, enthusiasm is empowering. Ecstasy is just an experience. There's no empowerment in ecstasy. So he is offering to the Corinthian church a criterion for making a very valid distinction between ecstasy and enthusiasm. The difference between religious words and declaring that Jesus is my Lord. There's a major difference between having some religious words and declaring that Jesus is Lord of my life. I have received Jesus as Lord of my life. Are you with me? Just like the woman would say, I believe that. I believe that. All right. Sounds very religious. Oh, yeah, I believe that. And how many times have you said to people about, talk to people about Jesus, and they'll say, yeah, I believe that. I believe in Jesus. As what? A historian, historical figure? How? What do you believe about him? You believe that he bore away your sins, paid the price for you, took your punishment? What do you believe about him? Not the right spirit. Just like the slave girl in Ephesus, not the right spirit. Now, she was not embarrassed. She was not timid. She'll go around saying, these men are, are, are preachers of God, and, you know, they have the way of salvation and listen to them, you know. 
They weren't, she wasn't embarrassed about it. She wasn't timid about it. But she was not saved in the Spirit of God. So there are differences. Difference between an ecstasy of emotionally feeling peaceful. You know, a lot of people look for that ecstasy of emotionally feeling peaceful. Compared to receiving peace and the power of peace that is in Christ. That started at the new birth when you received Jesus and you made peace with God. Well, peace is a power. There's power in peace. It's not about an emotional ecstasy or feeling. Of course, if it is, then there's a lot of Buddhists that are saved. There's a lot of Hindus that are saved. Because they all believe in being peaceful. Are you with me? The more that we are in God, the more we will be enthusiastic about living with him and living in him. It is not found in an emotional ecstasy, but it's found in a life of servitude of love. See, where, how is your service to God? See, that is an outgrowth of enthusiasm your service to God see I will there are there are things that that I've got to deal with and when stuff starts to come into my mind I'm going to say nope I am going to cast down that stronghold I'm going to take pull down that stronghold cast down that imagination take that thought in captivity in obedience to the word of God see that's a product of enthusiasm I'm serving God with my mind because I want it to think the right things. I'm not going to take any old garbage in it that anybody says or anything that just comes to me. I'm not going to take that garbage. Because I'm serving God in that area. But if I'm just looking for an ecstasy, I might lean back to my former days that's created ecstasy in my life. If I'm just looking for a, an emotional ecstasy and feeling of peace, then let's get back to drugs, man. Are you with me? The enthusiasm creates a servitude of love towards God. Spiritual matters is what Paul's talking to the Corinthian church about. And it's what we must concern ourselves with in these days. In the days ahead, operating and functioning and understanding things of the Spirit are going to be very, very important. What you heard today in the gifts was spiritual operations. What if that happened in the street? I was in Golden Corral one year and a young man stands up and he just starts preaching. He was with a group of young people, uh, some organization, I don't know what they, but he just stood up. He was from, they were from out of town. He stood up in Golden Corral and started declaring some things. Was it truth? Well, just because he declared it, does it make it truth? Just because he said something from the Bible, does it make it truth? What made it truth? 
the Holy Spirit? Was there an anointing on what he said? Was he declaring it by the Spirit of God? And if you don't know that, you'll fall for everything and anything, every trickery of man, every deceitful scheming that this devil is sending out in these days. You need to know God in you. God inside mind. The anointing that you have received from him abides in you. But you have to abide in him. Stop praying in the Holy Ghost. I can't hear you. You spirit of darkness, you spirit of deception, I break your power over these people. Over the po- I break your power over the people on live stream, podcast, Facebook. I break your power over them. I command you to remove from them that darkness that you've keeping over them, that their eyes open up and they see clearly and understand what the word of God is declaring to them, that they would take hold of this in power and take hold of it in truth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, I receive that, Lord. I receive that, Lord. I receive that, Lord. Glory, glory, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, that might have sounded a little strong, but God just got ticked off right there. Not at you, but at that darkness that's trying to keep you from pressing in and taking hold of what God has for you. Broken. 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 Hallelujah. 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 You got something? Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. God said, do not be deceived. God is no mark. Whatever man sow, he also will receive. Yes. The spirit of the Lord will break any yoke. Yes, amen. The spirit of the Lord breaks the yoke. Breaks the yoke. Hallelujah. Breaks the yoke. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Enthusiasm. There was no ecstasy involved in that. But it was enthusiasm. Because it was in God. It's where we get our word enthusiasm. Two Greek words, en theos, in God. That's where enthusiasm is. If you want to be enthusiastic, 
then you got to be living in God. And the more enthusiastic you get, the more you live in God, the more you live in God, the more enthusiastic you will get. Amen. And how do you get enthusiastic? By living for him and living with him. Again, it's not found in emotional ecstasy, but it's a lifestyle of servitude of love towards God. I love God. And when that garbage wants to come into my mind, I'm not taking it. And the more I learn about the word of God, the more garbage I realize there is coming. You know, there's garbage you accept when you don't know what the word of God says. Because the only other, the only other understanding you have is heathen. So therefore, you might expect or accept things based on a heathen understanding of stuff. But when you realize and find out what the word of God says, you get a godly understanding. And you're not going to take that trash. And the more you get that straightened out, the more your life straightens out. That you would be in health and prosper even as your soul prospers. Your mind, your emotions, your will prospers in the things of God. It will affect your health. It will affect your prosperity of life. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Where are we? All right, let's go verses four through six. Can you take a little bit more? Verses four through six. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So he starts off in verse 4 talking about the Spirit, verse 5 about the Lord, and in verse 6 he's talking about the Father. The Holy Spirit, the Lord, and the Father are not limited to a church building or a gathering of people. We as believers are the church. Isn't that right? We're individually members of it. And the church building, the place we come to, is a place of discipleship and training. Because we have to go out into the world. All of the gifts, all of the ministries, which is positions of service, and all of the effects that God works, those gifts and those positions together, are not limited to a church service. But they are unlimited wherever people might be. Unlimited, wherever people might be. One of the biggest issues is that once you walk out those doors, you get uncomfortable. Because in here, things are pretty safe. But what if I was out there and God wanted me to declare something to somebody? What if I was out there and God wanted me to lay hands on him in the tomato section of Walmart? What if I was out there and God started moving through the gifts and wanted me to touch somebody out there? In here it seems safe, but out there. And you have no idea how people are going to respond to you. Everybody in here will be nice to you, but you don't know how people are going to respond to you out there. And just because God's told you to move in a way to pray for a person or to say a word to someone doesn't mean they're going to respond favorably. 
And that's the thing that scares you. And that's why we get uncomfortable. Because we don't know how they're going to respond. Because you take it personal. Because if they don't respond favorably, you take that personally. They didn't respond to you favorably. And it has nothing to do with you. If I remember right, Saul was on his way to Damascus and the Lord appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He, said, he didn't say, how come you weren't nice to Stephen? He didn't say anything. He said, why are you persecuting me? People don't accept what you say. Remember what Jesus said. To not receive what I said, they don't receive the one that sent me. You have to remember who sent you and who you represent. And he's the one that gets accepted or received, uh, gets received or rejected. Isn't that right? Amen. So wherever that people may be, the gifts of, have an opportunity to operate. But we have to be in position for that. God moving through us. God doing things in us. He wants to move through the gifts. He wants to move through positions of service. He wants to bring effects. You know, there's all kinds of positions of service, whether it was the fivefold ministry gifts talks about in Ephesians, whether it's helps ministry gifts talked about in Romans chapter 12. You know, and those gifts don't operate just in a church building. Though those positions operate every place we go. You know, when I leave here, I don't stop being a pastor. You know, I went to, um, we went to uh, Bangkok back in 19... 84. Yeah, it was 1984. We went back for the first time since we came from overseas in 74. So 84 was the first chance we went back. So we went to the hotel that we believed that God wanted us to go to. And when we walked in, they said, it's $80 a night for a room. Now, $80 a night was a lot of money. Not only in the 80s, but in Bangkok. There's a lot of money. And I look at the guy, I'm like, no. And I look at my wife because I figured she's going to yakety-yak with him and get the price down. She walks out. She just walks out. I'm like, where are you going? So I can't talk to the guy, so I walk out too. And we're just standing out there on the front porch, and we're, pr- and we're praying. I'm like, God, I know this is where you want us to go, but $80 a night, that's a lot of money. We're out there for just a few minutes, and the manager comes out. And um, he starts talking to Pastor Nid. And Pastor Nid says to me, how does $30 a night sound? I'm like, that's a whole lot better. (laughs) And then he gave us free breakfast every day that we were there. And it came down to actually $23 a night. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. We can do that, you know. So we stayed there. And when I, they, they have you fill out a card and all this and what you're, you know, the country you come from, what your job is and all that. Well, at that time, I had an auto repair shop, but I never considered myself a mechanic. I considered myself a minister because I was in the ministry. So for my job, I wrote down minister, okay? Well, they thought I was in the government. Yeah, they thought like I was a minister of education or a minister of something like they do in, you know, foreign countries and government. So he thought I was in the government. They gave us such great treatment. <laughs> and, and I wasn't planning on it. All I did was being truthful, wrote down what I believed I was a minister. And of course, 
when I left the church building, I didn't stop being a minister. <clears throat> and that was the way I always looked at myself, and therefore that's the way I would always operate and function. Amen. Are you with me? So it doesn't matter what your gift is. You know, your, your gift can be generosity. Your gift can be hospitality. You know, there's all kinds of gifts that's lift, listed in Romans chapter 12, but that should never stop. In other words, I'm not generous just with people I know. What if I come across somebody on the street? Well, you're not generous to everybody on the street, but here's the point. What is the Spirit of God saying? See, that's the whole thing. You're in this position, so what's the Spirit of God saying right now? That's good. Yeah. You never leave your position. But as the anointing abides in you, we have to abide in Him. He wants to move in us and through us, through gifts, positions of service, and through that position of service and the gifts, God works them together and do things through us. The, one of the biggest keys that we need to do is start looking outward at people. That when you go places, start noticing people. Start seeing people. I know that you know people are always there, but you have to start seeing them. We are being transformed, and we are being to carry this transforming power to a dying world. What world is that? The one you came out of. We all came out of that world. Well, there's still people dying in that world. You know, you're like Chuck Norris that got out of the, uh, uh, the, the prisoner camp, but now he's going to go back and get the prisoners out. It's called Missing in Action if you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> See, we have to go back and get the prisoners out. We, buy, we got free, but there's still others that are still in the cap captivity and in, in a dying world. And this is done out of a life of enthusiasm, not out of a life of ecstasy. And it's all because of what we know the Lord has done for us. See, a heart of gratitude goes a long ways. Thank you, Jesus. That heart of gratitude is going to go far. You know, just, just in service, you know, in, in, in when, when worship is going on, a heart of gratitude just can't help but open their mouth and thank God. Thank God for what you've done. Can't help it. Amen. All right, let's close with verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. See, what is God's desire? The common good. That's God's desire, the common good for everyone. And he wants to do it through his people. And the Bible says that God has set in the church these gifts. Well, he didn't set it in the church for the church to play church. He said it in the church, so the church then go to the world. Amen. Amen. God is ready and wants to move in his gifts, in his power, through service and positions, but most of all through love. He loves that world that's dying, just like he loves you when, you, when he got you out of that world. Somebody came into your life. And somebody moved you out of that world. You know, gave God access into your life. And he still loves the world. God so loved the world that he gave his son. 
Well, that giving never stopped and that love has never stopped. But he still needs his people to touch others. So how much more glorious and triumphant can we live now that we're living in the last days of this earth time? We're living in the last moments as eternity would count time and eternity is drawing close. Jesus is coming back for who? A glorious church. A glorious church. A glorious church is one that's living triumphant over Satan and living triumphant over the host of hell. This is a church that lives victoriously. Jesus is coming back for a victorious church. He's not coming down for a beat down church. He's coming down, coming back for a victorious church. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Living in us through the gifts, through service, and through love. And these are spiritual matters that we are to grow in as we live in the kingdom of God. And these are the things he's going to talk to us about over the next few weeks. Spiritual matters. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So as much as we've heard things today and we're going to be hearing things in the weeks to come, I believe that it may be important. You might think it's important. You might not to ask for wisdom in this area. So if you would want to ask for wisdom in this area, I'm just going to ask you to stand right where you're at. If you're on live stream, podcast, social media, if you want wisdom in this area in your life, then I'm just going to ask you if you're able to just to stand before the Lord right now where you're at. If you can't stand, maybe you can raise a hand to him. But it's wisdom. Jesus said, I'm sorry, the book of James says that if you lack wisdom, ask and he'll give it without reproach and he'll give it generously. Isn't that right? Amen. And we need wisdom because we want to step into this life of obedience and we want to step into it as we saw a few weeks ago with boldness. So just lift your hands to the Lord. Holy Spirit, say this with me. Holy Spirit, here I am standing before you. I've heard your word and I'm looking forward to hearing more. So today I'm asking for wisdom. That things would be made known to me, alive in me, that it would come to me in power and in your anointing. Holy Spirit, I know it's your desire, so I'm declaring it to be my desire also to step into these spiritual matters with obedience and with boldness. That's your desire? That's my desire. So I'm asking for wisdom for this to become a reality in my life. That you would have your way. That you would do the things you need to do. And your will can be accomplished. Holy Spirit, I want to be a vessel for you. More obedient. More accurate. Clearly walking in the anointing. I thank you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. 
Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Father, that it was a foundational word, and it's creating a strong base for us to work off of. That in the weeks to come, and what you declare to us, what you show to us, we'll be building on this foundation, and it's going to become a living temple to the living God. I thank you, Father, that your word is truth, that it does not return to you void, but it will accomplish what it was set out to do. So your word spoken to me, I will take it, I will meditate on it, I will get it in my heart, I will speak it back to you, and it will produce in my life, it'll produce a life of obedience, it'll set my steps, set my path, and bring me in the way that I should go, and it will be the manifestation of your word in operation and in reality in my life. Thank you for that, Lord. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, Lord. Now, Father, as we come before you with our giving, I thank you for the wonderful privilege and opportunity to sow our seed, to bring in first fruits, or to bring in a tithe. That we can declare what your word says over our giving. Over our first fruits, it says that when we bring in the first of all that we produce, that you will fill our bonds with plenty and our vats will overflow with new wine. So Lord, I just thank you and I praise you, Father, that you're more than enough you watch over your word to perform it, that we act on it in faith, and it will be as you have declared. We believe it, we declare it, we act on it, and it will be so. In Jesus' name, amen.